This is the Average Guy Network, and you have found Cyber Frontier, show number 51, recorded on November 14th, 2018. Here on Cyber Frontiers, we explore cybersecurity, big data, and the technologies that are shaping the future. If you have questions, comments, or contributions, you can always send us an email, jim at theaverageguy.tv. Of course, don't really send it to me. It's a Christian who needs it, Christian at theaverageguy.tv. Super easy to track us down that way. At Jay Collison on Twitter for me, at Borg Whisperer. That's in the show notes if you want to get Christian over there as well. Don't forget that uh, Cyber Frontiers and TheAverageGuy.tv, powered by Maple Grove Partners, get secure, reliable, high-speed hosting from people that you know and you trust. WordPress optimized super fast, Christian. I updated some plugins at the average guy, no, live.theaverageguy.tv. That's our live side of things. You're hosting that as well. I could literally, it was updated before I clicked the update button. It was that fast. Why, what, do you get, you what kind of magic are you guys doing over there? We sprinkle a lot of pixie dust on the rail <laughs> and the server racks, and uh, it flies. I'm going to give Gary all the credit. I'm not going to lie. He's, okay. It's, it's Gary's I'm magic. I'm good with that. Magical Gary uh, out there doing it. It's, it, it was literally, I, I click it was done. Click it was done. Click it was done. Yeah. You know, when you're updating WordPress plugins, that can be one of the worst parts of hosting on WordPress is making sure they're up to date. Those things were flying for me. Plans as little as 10 bucks. To get uh, both media and, and web hosting. It's a great deal. Head out to maplegrovepartners.com. And if you haven't done it yet, you might want to subscribe if you're on a- Apple or Google Podcasts, really any podcast player. Just get subscribed. And uh, we love to have you do that. Christian's back with us. This is the show I've been waiting 51, well, yeah, 51 episodes for, where Christian actually talks about crypto. Christian, welcome back. Thanks. Good to be back. The overwhelming feedback from our uh, customers on the show here was uh, Bitcoin blockchain, Bitcoin blockchain, and varying bits of flavor. So, Actually, uh, Christian, the question I get is why is Christian not into crypto? Like, that's what people contact me. Like, is there something I should know he never talks (laughs) about? And, uh, you know, we have been a year and some change, probably, I think probably, let's just say 18 months. We've been talking about it on Home Gadget Geeks. We've alluded to it here. You just haven't spent any time on it. You really haven't wanted to, to be honest. And then I think I've badgered you enough. I'm like, come on, what's going on? We should probably bring up crypto. I'm not, uh, I won't lie to you. I was really tired right before the show. And then you reminded me we're going to talk crypto. Boom. I peak. I just, like now I'm super energized and super excited. Uh, you've got some stuff you want to chat about more than just the coin. So let's give, let's kind of back up the bus a little bit. And and as we think about kind of everything that's going on with the blockchain and crypto, why don't you get us started? Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of wanted to take it back to not even so much how did we get here, but just restarting from the groundwork of what is the foundation or the premise that we're building this whole industry around? And I think most consumers of the technology want to talk about the financial aspect. Most technology enthusiasts or engineers or scientists want to talk about the blockchain. Um, And so when you talk about what are some of the major drivers behind why Christian does or doesn't want to do these things. One of them is that I find the blockchain much more interesting as an engineer than I do the cryptocurrency. 
Um, and, and this actually plays to a lot of folks' different interests, right? There's a lot of people that are interested in stock markets, Forex trading, mutual funds, et cetera. So when you talked about cryptocurrency as this new avenue of investment, there's a lot of people who can get engaged and participate in that conversation without having to have any background in technology or computer science, right? All of the classical notions of how a market would behave or operate do exist in some form and capacity, though, as we've been seeing, um, current financial avenues are in, in today's stock market and today's economy. Um, blockchain, on the other hand, really reminds me very much of the internet back in its early days and its inception, right? It was a small user group. Um, it was limited to certain audiences. They didn't anticipate the demand or the boom and what the internet would become, right? You know, going from a defense application run at the Pentagon in the 70s to something that runs and manages virtually every aspect of our lives daily, um, that took really a, a maturing process of about 30 years. Um, and at about that three-quarter of the waypoint, we had the dot-com boom, right? So when you think about the internet, which we classify today as one of the holy grails of technical ramp-up bubble evolution and plateau to general mainstream consumption, the internet itself is one of those big historical lessons on how fundamental technologies take certain timelines to get to where their ultimate destination is. And when you look at blockchain, it is much the same story, but I think we are in blockchain right now at the era of where the internet was when it was being used at DARPA. Um, it is a small niche customer base, right? Um, if you ask 80% of people who walk into a bank, they, they can't, they can't tell you that they've ever heard or understood what cryptocurrency is and, and how that can help them, right? Or it's 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 sixty percent, but then eighty percent of the people who have even heard the word, they don't know necessarily how to leverage it, why they would want to leverage it, right? It's just a word rambling in the back of their heads, right? So today it's small user community. Um niche online markets that seek to become general purpose markets, lack of mainstream adoption, but lots of lots of raw potential. And I think the first point to distinguish here is where's the raw potential? Is it in the cryptocurrency or is it in the blockchain? Um, and, and the real answer to that is you have to decide whether blockchain is a zero to one technology invention or a, or a zero to N innovation, right? Innovations that are zero to one, we would call that a fad, right? It's got a two to five year life cycle. It'll plateau, hit the general market, and people will know about and hear about it, but it's not what's driving the conversation or driving the industry. Zero to N technological innovations means that whatever the base innovation is that's being put forward, it can be constantly repurposed into new domains, into new areas. When I look at blockchain, I see it as a zero to end domain problem. Whether we're talking about law, the, the pharmaceutical and medical industry, um, the 
digital delivery and enterprise information industry, um, uh, space and other based um, decentralized systems that need to communicate over limited resources, um, journalism or other industries that require privacy and anonymity or some sort of verification along the way. You know, there are countless industries in our day-to-day life where um, blockchain could be that future enabler. And that's what makes me define it as a zero to N innovation. But I think most of the limited user community that is out there right now is focused on the zero to one, which is blockchain is an enabler for commerce, finance, and um, online retail or online transactions, which doesn't surprise me, right? If we look at one of the biggest, most obvious things that made the internet successful, it was becoming a giant online retailer for everyone in the world. Um, and so it doesn't surprise me that blockchain is starting on top of the shoulders of where the internet really started picking up in its claim to fame, being this member enabler uh, by promoting online retail. But that being said, I think blockchain has a much larger future that we can't fully grasp and quantify what the timeline is going to be. I don't think it's going to be on the same timeline as the internet. I think that when we look at when we look at the innovation on its merits, um, it's not like we're building some new physical hardware appliance. It's not like there's years of maturity in physical things that must be built in order to mature. Whereas if you look at the internet, there was. Okay, there was a tremendous amount of stuff that had to be built and re-engineered on the hardware side before the internet could be feasible the way it was today. Um, you wouldn't be getting the bandwidth y- you are today if there weren't serious improvements in gigabit, 10 gigabit, 100 gigabit internet and fiber, just physical fiber cables. Um, really, when you think about everything used to be over coax and and just literally the physical evolution and the fiber that we use to transmit electrons, um, lots of physical improvements that happen to make the internet work as flawlessly as it does today. When we look at blockchain, what are some main hardware enablers? Having great GPUs, sure, but GPUs are improving on their own scale. And and it's not, I don't see data that indicates that GPU um, improvements are driven by the, the cryptocurrency industry. Certainly the prices are driven by the cryptocurrency industry right now because it's causing a massive shortage. But I don't think it's speeding up the rate of innovation at which GPUs are becoming faster. I think that's happening on its own independent growth curve. Um, so when we look at blockchain, it's like it could very well follow the same digital trends that the internet did, but the internet took a good 35 to 40 years to become large scale, international, global, touches every fabric of, of daily life. We're what in the five-year marker for that experiment that's called cryptocurrency. So it's a really early point to evaluate what is the long terms or success or failure of cryptocurrency. Um, when you look at blockchain, however, it's it's much vast. Uh, it's a much more vast prediction market. 
because cryptocurrency could completely tank, be a complete devastating failure, and blockchain could still survive as the ultimate ruby that we are shining and polishing and refining and, and chipping away at. So when you ask me what gets me excited about cryptocurrency, it's very much the fact that it runs on something called blockchain. Um, when you look at the fundamentals of what is blockchain, it's really putting together um, not disjoint, disjoint is the wrong word, but different disciplines within computer science that have been well-known and well-matured for quite some time. Um, Public-private key encryption and cryptography, like you wouldn't be doing, you wouldn't be doing cryptocurrency if uh, if the RSA algorithm wasn't published in an academic paper thirty plus years ago, right? You you wouldn't be doing that um, if if those guys didn't get in a room together and, and hash out some uh, some math. You wouldn't be doing crypto or blockchain today if networks had developed the way I discussed. In order for networks to develop the way I discussed, the internet really had to develop in a way. Um, blockchain is going to be a challenging paradigm to the internet because it could fundamentally change the way we run the internet itself. Internet is a gatekeeper model. Everything has to go through some main authority that rubber stamps that this is good and this is good. And the delegation model is always that there's some gatekeeper or guardian getting you from one place to the next. Well, blockchain completely rewrites that. It says we're going to have a decentralized model where each subsequence is filtered out and, and distributed in a decentralized way. And that's that's much more the networking model of peer-to-peer than it is a centralized gatekeeper model. So if you want to talk about networking innovations in internet that have helped blockchain get to where it is today, you have to look at peer-to-peer file sharing as the precursor to that. Um, and then when you marry these disjoint components, good evolution in, in public-private key cryptography, good evolution in networking, um, and, and ultimately... Um, good ways of accounting for transactions and, and records, which is really a category of science and information science. When you put these disjoint things together, block, blockchain is, is a unique enabler of these technologies working in concert with one another. And so because these technologies have already been out there, and I personally have understood and watched the journey of each of these separate technologies. Um, the new part for me with blockchain when it came out was this notion of a distributed shared ledger that, you know, uh, Bitcoin actually became, you want to know why Bitcoin became the first major digital currency? It wasn't because they were just the first guys at it. Okay. It was because they were the first digital currency to solve the issue of double spending. Right. And this gets to a classic notion in Internet and cybersecurity of replay attacks. Right. They've plagued people for decades. It's the fundamental notion that I can replay a segment of TCP traffic from A to B and get you to repeat the, tran the, the transaction that took place over the network. What's a common example if it was misimplemented? Let's say you're a bank and I'm a customer and I say I want to pay $100 to this person and you malicious hacker measure that networking traffic to make that action happen. And then you replay it on the network 10 minutes later, 
and now suddenly I've withdrawn $200 instead of $100. Um, Bitcoin fundamentally solves that problem within the distributed ledger because it makes sure that uh, each unique Bitcoin retains records and timestamps in such a way that you can't pay with the same $10 twice, right? If I walk in a coffee shop and I pay you $10, you put that $10 in your cash register. It's not like I have another virtual $10 with the same serial number I can hand you for infinite money, right? Bitcoin really was the first coin to nail the value proposition of, okay, we're going to take these, these technologies, put them together in concert, but also we're going to maintain this common universal ledger system that allows us record keeping in a way that makes cryptocurrency viable. And so what makes Bitcoin special as a technology and what eventually all of its um, successors made them viable was the fact that they brought the universal ledger to this concert of technologies that to many computer scientists are very familiar concepts. Um when we talk about other um, kind of market or hobby industries within um, cryptocurrency, the big one is mining, right? I got a mine, I got a mine, I got a mine. But I, I could probably tell you there's a handful of people in the mining community that do it because they want to mine. They do it because they want to make this initial ROI where in the first few years of doing blockchain, yeah, it was very profitable um, to set up a couple of racks make a make a good buck off it and cash out. Um, that involved researching and really understanding how to get the most efficient power and hardware design for the most amount of computation. So you didn't really necessarily have to have an appreciation for the currency, yet alone the underlying technology of blockchain to get involved in the in the quote unquote gold rush that was crypto mining. Um, and so now we're at a point today where I won't say that's burned out. I think it's certainly become much more established. Everyone has their favorite tools. Everyone's automatically uh, changing which currency they're mining based on what, what the best exchange rate they can get is when folks who are in the industry are fairly comfortable with setting up eight 1080 TIs in a, in a cluster rack, downloading their favorite software and going for it, right? So if that's why you're in Bitcoin or blockchain or whatever, that's awesome. If you're in cryptocurrency because you truly believe in this world where there is no paper money and no credit cards, um, you're probably in a minority community that has yet to take a bigger voice in this. I really don't believe yet that that is the driver of why people like crypto. I think people like cryptocurrency properties of the technology than they necessarily do the notion of the ease of use of the technology, right? For example, I find Apple Pay to be much easier to use in certain credit card. Um, does that mean I would have the same reaction if, if Bitcoin was then suddenly faster than Apple Pay in certain scenarios? Probably not, actually. Um, I would probably get to a point where I have to ask myself, gee, what am I fundamentally getting out of cryptocurrencies that I'm not getting out of an Apple Pay or something similar, right? When we talk about, is the financial transaction secure? Is it reproducible? Is it easy to use? Do I have to think about it? 
cryptocurrency doesn't check off as many of those boxes as what your average consumer wants right now, right? It is not the ease of use of Apple Pay. And I guarantee you, you know, you can talk till you're red in the face about how easy it is to set up a Bitcoin wallet. And yeah, you might be right. But when you hold that up next to something like Apple Pay, an average person who doesn't know technology isn't going to look at that and say, oh, the Bitcoin wallet. Yeah, that definitely sounds easier, right? Um, you know, one is coin, one is like a fruit. So you're you're going to gravitate towards the fruit. That's just how the human brain works. Um, putting aside the usability for a second. Hey, Christian, before we get too, too much farther, I'm getting some stuttering from you network-wise. Um, okay. Wondering if you got anything going on. Tell Gary to stop watching 4K yeah, TV me, behind you. <laughs> Let me check. No. My... While you're while you're checking, l let me just. Uh, you said a few things. I kind of just want to respond to. Um, one of the things I, you know, as we think about the history and going back in the internet being thirty years old, and you know, or maybe ten years into this this cryptocurrency experiment or this blockchain experiment, I do think this. While this is the wild west and it's crazy right now, and there's lots of things going on. I do think this is all the necessary experimentation that needs to happen to for us to really work some things out. We're watching forks uh, both in both directions where where blockchains are being forked into multiple ones. Uh, we just talked about this on Home Gadget Geeks last week where Saya spawned three new blockchains because of its its fork. And um and then we're seeing some consolidating. And the Without the without the financial incentive behind this, I don't think we would have as much experimentation going on. Now, whether right. whether Satoshi, whether that's his real name or not, whether that's even a real person or not, who who puts in the early days of this puts some financial reward as part of the incentive because decentralized systems won't work without some kind of financial reward or system um, in place to make it work. Um, I, I do think we've gotten rapid um, uh, development and experimentation and testing done and have learned a ton about both the currency side, because I do think someday there'll, there'll be an actual currency use for this. Like we'll, we'll get to a spot where it makes sense. You know, we've had Edward on before and his, he's talked about this. It, the currency side of it actually makes sense from an international money transfer today. Like that's a, that's something now that's a very niche. I'm, it's not like you're sending money to Nigeria all the time and, or, or anywhere, right? Most, most of the time our money is not going overseas. And so we're not having to worry about that, but there's, but it's super niche, right? We have too many of these coins and there's 2000 of them or something like that. Well, if you look at it, you're like, this is ridiculous. However, in the system, we have proven out and tried a bunch of different things in this, whether it's proof of work or proof of stake or proof of storage or, you know, all these all these concepts have been proved are, are being proven out. This is different. I think this is different than the Internet. Uh, the Internet was dictated. It was it was a government experiment that moved its way into the corporate space. And by the time we saw we saw it, it was pretty there, right? There were some changes that went to it. They've upgraded some things. We were making, you know, we're moving to IPv6 and some other things, right? But for the most part, it's not like you had the world experimenting on what kind of internets we were going to have. We had the internet, right? Kinda, right? So I do, I do feel like um, we are actually accomplishing something 
some people are going to make some money. Most people are going to lose money on this on this adventure. But I do feel like we're accomplishing something with the blockchain. Um, and I do feel like we're going to find these niche uses in all of this where the blockchain makes sense. I do feel like sometimes we think the blockchain is a nail and everybody has a hammer and we're just, you know, it's blockchain, blockchain. And it has some very, it's not the internet, right? It has some very specific uses where it's, it's best, it's best suited for. And so um, I, I do think that we run a little bit of a difference of, and I'm not saying you're saying they're the same, by the way, but I think for most people there, I think there's a big difference between the technology of the internet and its adoption and the adoption of blockchain where, where it's much more, it lives in a more specific space than the internet does. I, I, I think is the blockchain gonna affect everybody like the internet? Probably not in the future. Will it have some ramifications in the in, in little spots for, for us? Yeah, I think so. I think there's going to be some really cool things. I think this this coin space will play itself out in the next couple of years and will kind of fade away as people don't find a good use in it. Um, as we saw the market took a hit today, it could take a couple hits like this. Who knows? Nobody knows. So, anyways, well, I think we got your um, we got your internet straightened out in that in that. But I do. I do feel like we're doing good with yeah. the blo- with the blockchain right now and and with cryptocurrency. No, and, and I think you're right. I think one of the things that is remarkable about the evolution of cryptocurrency that I think is unique from internet is the model of competition that has emerged so early, right? This concept that you have 2000 coins competing for, you know, who are going to be the top 5 or the top 3 um, there was nothing like that with the internet, right? It was very much, what is this new and foreign thing? Um, people might've been competing about certain implementations of something, but everyone agreed on the implementation that had to be there. Right. Um, so, and you know, it's much like, I think of trivial examples like word perfect versus Microsoft word, right? Like versus, um, Oh, uh, what was the other one? Cor- uh, oh, well, Corel was Cor- word perfect. Uh, yeah, there were there were a couple of them. There were a couple, but yeah. you know, you get my point, right? Which yeah. it was like there were only five competitors, and then it was one that's been dominating for the last twenty five years of word processing, right? So, um, when you see the difference in the market size, competition wise, so early in the adoption of the technology, uh, I can't think of many other places in the digital realm of competition that have been that competitive. Well, um, there, that may be true among operating systems when we think about, you know, just because it wasn't a guaranteed thing in the early days of operating systems, those were, there were many and still continue to be some competitors in that space. And there was a lot of, and certainly the winner, there were, gr- there were great rewards for those who invested early in the winter, we didn't know. I remember, I remember those days. I was, you know, I was PCing in those days, and there was no, um, we didn't know Windows would become the worldwide dominating. You kind of thought maybe it would, but um, so there's some experimentation there. It just didn't have, you know, you said decentralized, and and I think that's kind of the key is that a lot of these early technologies didn't have a decent. It's not like we were trying to run the internet on decentralized servers. It's unlike the interplanetary file system that they've come up with, where that is a kind of decentralized storage piece that they're, you know, they're kind of monkeying around with now to see 
could this work? That was all centralized. Christian, let me and let me throw this question at you. I, I can't think of too many decentralized experiments that's actually worked. I mean, sure. in the in the end, it always comes back to centralization and control and regulation. That's what seems to win. Well, I'm not sure it has been. Some of the experiments haven't been finalized yet. If you think about computing itself, we started on mainframes where everyone was centralized. Then then the revolution happened and everyone said, I want my desktop. I want to do it myself. And we all got desktops and we all did it ourselves. And then people said, oh, let's go to the cloud. And everyone came rushing back to mainframe 2.0 more or less, which is the cloud. And now everyone basically has dummy terminals, dummy cell phones that connect to this interconnected world that's powered by the cloud. Um, so, so far that experiment has been a giant pendulum. Will it swing back again? Maybe, I don't know. Um, I think it's less likely, but um, I do think that it's an unanswered question, right? People gravitate towards simplicity, and decentralized is always much more complicated than centralized. Yeah, especially when you think about um, one of the fundamental notions of decentralization traditionally is that you have to be efficient in every part of your decentralized model. So um, if one component hurts, then not a big deal. If two components hurts, not a big deal. But all of a sudden, you're having these micro failures all over the place. You have a massive system failure. Um, much like if Microsoft rolls out a bad patch and 30% of the people get the bad patch, then all of a sudden, you have a whole grid of devices that are crippling the larger computational network because um, they're all f- failing at an individual level. Um, I don't. I don't know as if blockchain really has demonstrated that it has that same vulnerability. Um, Much of what we've seen with blockchain so far has been isolated incidents where, yes, it might be applicable in many scenarios, but typically the types of incidents we've seen with blockchain so far truly have um, lived up to a definition of decentralization where it impacts this one small part of the grid but the rest of the grid is healthy and it's not impacted by it um, as opposed to the blast radius model where something bad gets rolled out and then all of a sudden ledgers across the globe have stopped working, right? Um, I don't think we've seen anything remotely like that. We've certainly seen large cryptocurrencies that have gotten completely defrauded or devalued of hundreds of millions of dollars. And that certainly should be noted as a counter argument to what I stated But if you look at the big mainstream providers, uh, namely like Bitcoin and Ethereum, uh, you don't see that. And that tells me that even in the while the while the finance or the financial piece of this technology space is very volatile, uh, the technology itself is maturing and, and maybe maturing more quickly because of the fierce competition right when the when the internet started maturing a lot of things had to be maturing at the same time both at the physical level and the virtual level um in this case you have one playing field and a lot of competition to drive that playing field very quickly so it is a different model of growth and adoption and i think that um we haven't seen any major use cases yet where 
driving the advancement of that technology has resulted in some bad experience for all people playing in the pond. Um, pretty big pond, some big fish, lots of small fish, um, plenty of opportunities for Darwinian behavior to take place in the growth and maturity of cryptocurrency over the next five years. Um, but, you know, looking at the blockchain piece of it, that is really the place where you have to be kind of excited, right? Because I guarantee you most folks, most technology enthusiasts, et cetera, um, usually you have to be on borderline geek spectrum to full computer scientist to really get excited about something like public-private key cryptography, right? Like that's probably not the most exciting vocab word you heard when you first bought your computer, right? Probably wasn't like the top of your list of like, why did I buy this thing? Um, but we're seeing technologies that went from only the enterprise had to care about it to now quite a lot of people care about it. And when you think, you know, I, I ask myself the question, why does cryptocurrency have this advantage of large and fierce competition? Like, where did that come from? And the answer that seems obvious after reflecting on it is it is one of the cheapest things to get involved with, with the largest monetary gain that we've seen in the last five years. Um, sure, you have to be technically uh, very uh, well, you know, trained, capable, et cetera, to run your own exchange, run and create your own cryptocurrency, but the blueprint is there. Um, if I want to be the next also ran blockchain coin with some small deviation, the blueprint is there. I don't have to go figure out hardware. I don't have to go figure out patents. I don't have to hire an army of people to solve complicated problems. I can get two or three people together in a closet for three months with a computer and an internet connection, and we can go make the next whatever coin you want. Um, and I have to believe that there are among the community of geeks that's in the cryptocurrency space, there are still people today who believe that they can be the next big Bitcoin. Otherwise, you wouldn't be seeing 2000 plus coins on the Internet. Um, it also tells me that much like it, it is an anti pattern to what you've seen with social media, right? Social media had maybe 30 to 50 big name competitors that have quickly whittled down into like the big five and no one trusts the big five anymore anyway. So maybe there is a bigger use case for having um, more competition in the social media space. This is quite the exact opposite. I mean, there are one or two big players, um, kind of like the equivalent of saying Facebook and I don't know, Snapchat or whatever the new are the two big leaders in social media today. Um they don't have 1,998 competitors following them in close suit and lockstep behind. Um, so it tells me that the market adoption of these technologies is, is much easier. Um, but you could also make the argument, well, should be relatively straightforward to make your own social media company. So why aren't more people doing it? Um, and the answer there to me seems to be the market's more saturated, but also... Um, the value proposition is much lower. Um, inherently, when you're controlling people's money in some way, shape, or form, and you can skim a little X percentage off whatever money's moving around, 
you are going to make more money for less amount of work than if you have to make something be produced out of nothing, right? Blockchain doesn't have that problem. It's producing a smaller something out of another smaller something, subcomponent of a subcomponent. So when you're in this infinite loop of, you know, I, it's funny. We started the beginning of the show by talking about how they solved the problem of double money. Well, I'm not saying this is double money, but this is much more like the biology problem, right? Where your cells are dividing every, you know, like this. And if you want to grow a new cell, great. You got to divide the last cell. Um, and of course, bad things happen if that process gets out of control. Um, and we can imagine that the analogy does carry over into blockchain um, or specifically into crypto. But there's always something out of something when you're talking about a distributed ledger. And so inherently moving people's money around, it's just like a bank. How do banks make money? They hold on to your money. They invest your money. They only keep 10% of your money on hand at any time because the rest of the 90% is God. So yeah, when people are giving you money, they're doing just that. They're giving you money. Um, so it, it does make me truly believe that those are some of the enablers that make cryptocurrency such this faster, larger thing than what it might have otherwise been. Um, had they chosen other domain like pharmacy um, or, um, you know, changing your not connect to a service provider but to connect to a ledger that lets you through dozens of IPv6 addresses all by a different provider instead of paying one provider, you know, had it, had it been something like that, that started first, I don't think blockchain would have gotten near the level of visibility that's it's gotten today. So I think it's a good thing. Ultimately, regardless of where this ends up, um, playing the big financial game with it has been very good for the visibility of, wait a second, what is this thing we're doing with blockchain? Um, and so I feel very good that regardless of how long it takes for cryptocurrencies to be stabilized, um, blockchain is here to stay. Um, it may not stay in its true original form, but I mean, look at the internet. The internet has stayed in its true fundamental component, but it's had so many add-ons put to it that you know, someone from 30 years ago who fell asleep and, and woke up today might not recognize the internet, right? They would recognize fundamental things like, oh, that TCP stack or, oh, those IPs talking to each other over a, a common layer three interface. Like they might recognize that, but they might not recognize all these newfangled L7 protocols that make your router have more packets than it knows what to do with. They would go, huh, that's kind of odd, isn't it? Um, we didn't expect to have that many streams running at once, um, or you know, you know, talk about an area of competition. The types of protocols we put over these wires is a great example of diversifying communicate over common messaging system, um, and so we are definitely because blockchain. And I feel very strongly about this because blockchain was built off of known computer science theories that have worked since the inception of computing as we know it. I feel very good that the ultimate conclusion of blockchain doesn't just go away, right? The conclusion isn't going to be cryptology is a scam or it was wrong or it didn't work or it didn't scale well because all those problems were solved 
when blockchain came into existence. I think the value add technology of the ledger, the decentralization, and quite frankly, the orchestration of known good parts is what is going to make blockchain have a strong foothold in technology um, for decades to come. And when you talk about computing itself, moving back to this model of centralization where your data is being re-centralized and your programming and your everyday applications are being re-centralized, that model of centralization still exists in the context of redundancy, duplication, resiliency, high availability, performance, um, integrity and confidentiality of data. And you ultimately get to the conclusion that even though it's in a new centralized model, there are still decentralized components. Namely that, I don't know, if Netflix stops working in its East Coast region, you're still going to be able to stream Game of Thrones or whatever it is you're rewatching because the West Coast Netflix is still up and happy. Um, that's a really basic example of redundancy. Um, but, you know, blockchain, again, is that nth paradigm of where we're going with these concepts. So I, I see this world where blockchain actually enables centralized models of computing to work in pseudo decentralized ways. I say that again. I see blockchain as being an enabler for centralized models of computing to work in pseudo decentralized ways. Meaning that while we might store and process and analyze data and business systems and consumer systems in a centralized manner, we may start changing the underlying delivery mechanisms that those things get to people to become decentralized um, to the point where you might have a set of centralized providers, but the mechanism to get to those centralized providers is a decentralized network. Um, and if you look at Ethereum and the value proposition that started to make Ethereum interesting was that, sure, they had a currency that's awesome, good for them, super happy. But what really interested me about Ethereum from the get-go was the fact that they attacked the decentralized networking problem in a way that no one else in the crypto market had started to do. And so when you think about Ethereum and the actual value proposition that it holds, you know, Compare it to blockchain and, 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 and the other cryptocurrencies that have lived on the blockchain. Ethereum did something that you know Bitcoin and the other leaders really can't say they contended with. Bitcoin dominated the financial market space, but Ethereum did something very interesting. They actually started to look at solving the very fundamental problems in the way that you would deal with a decentralized networking model or a decentralized um, compute model. And so when you're talking about things like the Ethereum web browser, they're really creating visions into prototype ways we could see the internet over the next 20 to 50 years. So this might end up coming full circle where the Bitcoin and blockchain and you know your top five coins end up driving the maturity of blockchain and as the maturity of blockchain ends up getting driven, you're going to end up seeing the next iteration of what the internet really is. So 
you could summarize blockchain as a microcosm experiment within the larger experiment of where is the internet heading. And so it could very much be this next big enabler of internet-based technologies that, again, nothing to do with the financial market, but if it weren't for the financial market, we wouldn't have seen it. Um, Also consider the fact that um, we talked earlier about how we have gone from mainframe, personal computer, back to mainframe in the form of the cloud. Well, if you look at the technologies that something like Ethereum could offer you, we might be looking at a model of the internet where, yes, there are still centralized gatekeepers of your data and of your ability to to analyze and, and compute and understand and comprehend your data, your applications, your enterprise environments. But a decentralized network in an Ethereum-esque model might become the future way that you get to those centralized providers. Much like I'm no longer providing you, you know, a single internet service provider, but there is now this decentralized way in which I get to different content um, that I care about on the internet. And so you could very much see this concept of what I call centralized computing systems running with pseudo decentralized access mechanisms. And and what does that really mean? It it essentially is characterizing this concept that again, even as you see centralized compute systems, they have decentralized capabilities. We've talked about, you know, how even a cloud service provider would fail over to another location so that their application is always highly available. Um, you're going to start to see more decentralized mechanisms to getting to centralized resources. And I think blockchain becomes the vehicle that allows us to do that in the next iteration of the internet. Although I think when the pseudo decentralization you're talking about is still very controlled decentralization. In other words, I have a provider who's geographically representing the data, the same data, just in different locations, but that that's still that provider providing that we, We've spent, Mike and I have spent a ton of time working on some various storage storage coins and some decentralized storage apps over time. We've None of them have succeeded, um, even some before the blockchain, because they fundamentally rest in the on terms of users being good stewards. And I just think we find if we're going to decentralize and allow humans, people, systems, to be the steward of some of these things that I don't think we can trust them. And I don't think they're, they're the, the, you know, the 99.99% uptime that's sometimes required for this. In other words, if I'm going to be a hub in the spoke of somebody else's data, and it, it means I have to have my computer turned on all the time or whatever, I don't think I can fundamentally be trusted. Not that I'm going to steal the data, but that I can actually keep my computer up for that long and provide that level of service in a meaningful way, right? Sure. And and so I'm a little distrusting of the decentralized model, not from a stealing or a theft standpoint, but I'm just not sure the system is ever could ever really work. Uh, imagine if we built the internet on a system where it on a peer-to-peer system. Uh, you know, in, in the real you know, all we need is an outage or or people just to quit. I'm done. Turn it off. Right. 
and I, I don't think some of these critical systems, and I think this is going to be a problem with, with some of this decentralization is that it just, it makes an assumption that people are going to be and do the right thing. And we just know they don't like, we need a system where that is actually in our favor, not we're depending on it. So I'm a little skeptical Christian that, I mean, even though I've been a big proponent of this and I've been into it, I mean, I have seen these storage providers try to try to do this stuff via the blockchain and people just disappear. I mean, I, I can't, they, you know, they, yeah, I'll take your storage and they're gone. And there's no, you know, you try to put incentives in place to make it work for everybody. And it just doesn't the decentralizer, the pseudo decentralization, I think you're talking about the company that's centralizing it has it in their best interest to keep those systems that are distributed up and running. And when we decentralize without that motivation, I, I, I think we, I don't think we can, it, it, I just don't think it works. Yeah. I mean, there's still going to be big names in business, so to speak. Right. But I think some of the, some of the value that comes out of blockchain is that in some respects, not that it's impossible, but it's certainly harder to coerce what I call like the man in the middle problem. Yeah, right. So when totally, you, totally. when you talk about like what made the onion routing protocol so popular when it first came out, it was this concept really that, um, you could message pass and relay like five or six different times before it got to its final destination. And, you know, point B to C could figure out that C can trust B, but C didn't know where B got it from. And, and B didn't know where a, a what whatever preceded A, right? A zero came from. So, um, but then eventually people figured out with, with that protocol, well, all I need to do is own a certain number of nodes out of, let's say, a couple thousand, and I can start doing the the malicious voodoo that I need to to start um, kind of tainting the value. Um, I think blockchain is a much larger permutation space for that problem to try and occur. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't expect that I would, you know, it, the the gatekeeper or the man in the middle model is really where you start to see people not doing the right thing. Um, but ultimately, yeah, there's still people and malicious actors behind all these systems. But I think the fundamentals of the technology enable a much more organic resiliency and response to bad actors than where some of these centralized models do. Because if you topple the, the whatever that central authority is, if it's compromised, it impacts a much base of people than if something within a particular segment of the ledger could no longer become trusted for some reason. Um, that said, if you started as one of these, you know, 2000th placed coin providers and slowly work up the way to the top and have some massive undercover scheme along the way, yeah, maybe we have a bigger problem on our hands. But part of what makes these technologies so special is that they offer a level of validation about what's going on with them, that even if you didn't trust the provider, you should be able to be getting data artifacts and authenticators from a provider that tell you whether or not it's legitimate. Yeah. And so it gets harder to kind of spoof that identity and that proof think, of concept. And I think in theory that works, but as I've watched Sia fork 
and the consensus on the community and what's allowed to happen because it's decentralized and because they can do well, sort of. I mean, the 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 owners of the obelisks that were sold to mine were the ones who owned or had the ability to do the fork and kind of forced that fork on the community and and said, no, this is and they thought about it and they got consensus and there were some other things that kind of went on. But you know, you kind of at the end of the day, it was a little bit of a strong arm to say, no, we're gonna fork. And now we have is it is it necessarily trustworthy and reliable if we're talking about these as financial systems like oh like who who gets to decide that and why is that a good a, a good idea you know in in when out here on the frontier right in omaha 150 years ago there were banks federal notes had not made their way to the midwest yet and every local bank had its own way of doing currency those banking systems crashed twice there were two major go arounds of that where those banking systems crashed twice because they weren't, they didn't have a centralized federal system to back them up, right? And shenanigans <laughs> went on to do those. And I'm just afraid of cryptocurrency in its current form, or that's the blockchain that has back, that is backed by cryptocurrency or creates cryptocurrency. It's still really open for, for shenanigans to go on. And I, I just think we need to work some of those things out. Just some of the things, some of the things I've seen happen on these blockchains. And you're kind of like, mm, you know, how, how much work would it take for somebody in China to, to spin up millions of instances of a wallet and then begin yeah. to manipulate the wallet? You know, sure. So, and I mean, you're you're seeing other applications of blockchain that haven't fully worked out their security model yet, yeah, right? Totally, like totally. smart smart contracts is a is a classic example, and where like ultimately you're still introducing uh, human error, software bugs into what is supposed to be this resilient, bulletproof process. Um, you're also, um, again, because you're trusting on those human actors. I think part of what we'll see. What will prove if the technology stands the test of time is whether or not the big names that want to control these technologies are able to coerce the technology. Um, and those are two different things. There's a difference between influencing the technology and coercing the technology. And typically the technologies that are able to withstand the test of time are able to be influenced and improved, but not coerced to a point where they're compromised. Um, and if you think about the fundamentals of encryption, encryption has stood the test of time in many respects. Like, yes, there are plenty of data points of times that didn't happen, but in the majority of cases, encryption is something that has been influenced to get better, um, but is not coercible without a high number of factors in play. Right. Um, and I think if blockchain is able to get to that point with the types of technologies enables, you're going to end up seeing it withstand the test of time, which means that if the big players want to remain big players, they have to adopt. Whereas right now, if they adopt, they add a lot of credence to the technology, but if they don't adopt, it's not like they're losing a big pocket share that's mm -hmm. keeping them in that top game. In the early days of web banking, and I worked for a bank during these days when we started moving and there was kind of mistrust and there were mistakes that were made and there was money that was stolen uh, and there were breaches. It's been a while since I've heard of a, of a major breach, um, you know, from a from a web banking standpoint that, um, you know, they're 
because of those, they've gotten better. I'm not saying we're, they'll never they'll never happen. I'm not saying, you know, it just seems like it's less and less frequent these days that we're hearing because they've gotten better. They've cleaned things up. I think we're going to see, we're going to need to see that continuous improvement on the blockchain as well. And then figure out, and you know, I know they hate to say this, but figure out some ways to regulate it. Like, I don't think it can live in a completely open system. (laughs) I don't, I just don't know if that works. Even open source software has some governing boards over it that, that kind of, you know, uh, kind of help at least set some standards and some rules. So I, I sound like I'm being negative towards it. I'm actually really positive that these things are happening today. I just think we have to go in eyes wide open to say, these are the proving grounds. These are the times to test it. We're trying all kinds of crazy, all yeah. kinds of crazy stuff with it. And I don't think it's bad, um, yeah. you know, cause it's, we're not, it's, it's not like grandma is putting her, all her life savings in these things and she's losing it, right and that that has happened before right you know? um so or it's um, not like in the episode of big bang theory where sheldon ends up losing the usb drive that has all the crypto on it yeah no well okay a personal story let me just say this really fast so just to, you know with the Saya fork there's a new and we're going to talk about this on home gadget geeks tomorrow night in the in the post show but it's it's appropriate right here there's a fork of it called hyperspace and there was an airdrop uh, with hyperspace at the conversion. So the other night I went through, downloaded the wallet, got the airdrop of coin, you know, about a thousand or so coins in there, moved them to another wallet. It was the right thing to do. Took the key or the seed, thought I had put it somewhere where I could get it back. A couple of days later, I've closed some windows, whatever. I go to open those windows. That key is that seed is nowhere to be found. There is no way I'm ever getting that thing back. Like it is Gandhi. Mm. <laughs> like mm. what, 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 right? what makes it secure also makes it impossible for me to ever get back in there. I went and looked through logs. I, I went to the Moro data box and, and, and got versions of the file to see if maybe I'd buried it in a version somewhere. Nope. No, it is completely gone. I now have a wallet with a thousand coin it's seriously it's worth like six dollars so it's like it's not like it's a lot of money right but and it's you know on a silly coin that nobody's even going to use and it will probably disappear but the point being is it was super easy christian for me to just it was gone yeah right yeah uh, no, very, I mean, very similar you know yeah yeah and we i hate, to, I hate to admit that <laughs> we haven't gotten anywhere close to uh the drone tone of back it up like in blockchain like we have with uh, other yeah. technologies but well and i thought i was being really careful i was moving a bunch of stuff around and i thought i was being really careful and i and i am sure what i did is i had two two windows open and i saved one over the other and you know whew, away and i'm not sure i ever saved that instance and yeah there's a lot of things i could have done different the point is on that though is i don't think this stuff is like you know like you said you can easily poof and then it really is gone and it i guess it would be no different like if i had a bag of cash or i had a really valuable item that i just dropped in a river somewhere right and then it's gone right it's just woof and you're like well okay (laughs) value gone so um to that point too, though, it'll never be perfect. Like I think sometimes we expect these things to be absolutely perfect and they just won't be, they're going to have their, they're going to have their weird 
things about it. Today, is, and let's wrap it up here with this. Today, unless I missed something, um, we saw a 15 or 20% pullback in some areas on, on Bitcoin. And of course, all the altcoins go that way as well. Um, Christian, you've never been, like, I thought you would, I thought this would be something you would gravitate towards. I It, it really surprises me you haven't gotten into having a mining rig or, or kind of figuring out how to game the system or so before we talk about why, how come you've never, like, why have you never gotten into this? This, that, that bothers me that you <laughs> have just totally ignored this part of it. You, you, you have the perfect personality for this and you yeah. just completely ignored it. It's funny. It seems to bother a lot of people actually. Um, <laughs> uh, it's, it, I definitely, you know, my, for example, sophomore year at College Park, I was like this close to going all in on this stuff. Um, but, you know, I really didn't have the equipment at the time to go after it the way I had wanted. Um, it probably would have been, you know, there's there would have been two ways to go after it, right? It would have been like the, oh, I have my rig and I mine these coins and I do these things. Um, but I think if I had got involved in it, I would have been much more inclined to get involved with it from understanding the blockchain part of it first so I could actually be a developer contributing to cryptocurrency as a technology. I think that's where I could have had a lot of potential influence in the open source part of um, contributing to, to blockchain ledgers. Um, the mining piece of it, I don't want to say it's seen its heyday, but I think it's seen its heyday. Oh, um, totally. Totally. No, I'd agree with you. It's, so it's, it's done for the most part. Yeah. And so, which is interesting. Like, okay, so if if the mining is what helps secure and do all these things on the blockchain and the the reward system in place is now out of reach for a lot of people, like where does that go? And and certainly it's not sustainable to sell ASICs and like that does that system doesn't work. Yeah, and I just I, think yeah. It works. It works for a number of people now, right? It's right, a it's right. a classic law of supply and demand, yeah. right? The, yeah. the supply is now there, so there's no longer a demand incentive. Um, so it probably wouldn't become a fad again unless there was a sudden revolt of ninety five percent of miners saying, "I'm hanging up my hat," right? Yeah, um, which is possible. Possible. I mean, it's really unprofitable right now. I mean, with today's price drop, and I started nice hash right before the show. I mean, it's there's very, and I'm I'm watching more and more YouTubers go. I mean, certainly GPU mining is done. Like you, there's, it makes no sense. I'm still goofing around with a few things just to kind of mess with them, just to stay in touch with them. But, and then a good chunk of the mine, the ASIC miners get that. Like you buy them, and three months later, they're they're not they're not you know another set has come out, and they're not profitable. I don't. Christian, I don't see this as being a way. I know it was set up this way to incent people to be part of the of the decentralized network, but I it it's I think it's proven itself not to be sustainable. Yeah, I mean, it depends on your definition of sustainable, right? Yeah. That would be like saying uh, Uber and Lyft aren't sustainable because they're going to stop hiring drivers in five years. Well, no, they're just going to have self driving cars, right? Yeah, yeah true. Um, true. It's probably a very similar argument from uh, Bitcoin's perspective of 
yeah, we're no longer going to hire people to mine because now the infrastructure is in place for us to do it ourselves and the technology should be able to stand on its own. Um, So the era of crowdsourcing it in that way is probably gone, but there's going to be, if blockchain takes foothold in other markets the way we think it will, I suspect there would be other opportunities to crowdsource the technology in ways that we aren't registering yet. Whether it's to the scale or magnitude that mining was as the three to five year fad that it was, no. Um, Do I know folks that have made great dollar off of doing this when it was first a big deal? Yeah, you bet. Um, But I I don't know. For me, part part of the adoption was just if you didn't have the right gear at the time and you didn't feel like spending $10,000 into a mining rig, like you kind of had, once you made that decision, it was like, sure, you could watch the Bitcoin, you could watch the mining, you could watch this or that, but you're not, you're not playing in the space. You're just reading the news. Um, There's a big difference between reading the news and playing in the space. Um, And so I would say even today, if you really want to play in the space as a computer scientist, you've got to be contributing to the code base. Um, and influencing the conversation in the direction of these user and community threads and the protocols themselves, and really proposing and postulating other directions for blockchain to take other than cryptocurrency itself. Um, and so who knows, maybe I will foreshadow on a future show that I, I, I get involved in these things and there's a, there's a 180 change of heart. And I, I don't really know as if it's a change of heart. I really just think that, um, it was a, you know, there's a, there's something to be said about right time, right place, right choice of investment. Um, I would say it would be, it would have been right investment, um, right place, maybe wrong time for me, right? Like if I had another two years out from where I was at that point, it probably would have been the right time. Um, but if you really want to like sink your teeth into some of the meaty, like cutting edge things going on, you can only do it in so many places before you're like, now and also random everything instead of like good in some things. Um, And I think for me at the time, blockchain would have been a distraction into the also rand as opposed to really owning the space. And, you know, I said, you know, most people don't know this, but you want to know my, my blockchain story. Here it is. Um, I'm sitting in the basement of a Lutheran church with the guy who invented Ethereum and Paul Allen from Gallup. And we're sitting here talking to, I mean, an interesting brain, the the guy who developed Ethereum, like not, not your run of the mill guy doesn't think in average ways. And we're sitting in a user community and maybe like mm, 20 people show up in a basement somewhere in downtown DC and hear this guy get up here and talk about Ethereum. Um, and honest to God, it would have looked, if anyone had walked by, it would have looked like the old guys having bingo night with a box of pizza. I swear to God, that's what it looked like most unconventional places to have this kind of meeting. Um, but that shows the very grassrooty nature that this has. I mean, you look at like meetup.com and, you know, I remember the days when Hadoop user groups were the hot, sexy thing. If you went to a big data Hadoop thing and you could talk about the yellow elephant, boy, weren't you on the cutting edge. Um, and then Ethereum and, and, Bitcoin started to kind of follow that model where the meetups were happening in the big metropolitan areas and the, you know, the, the churches and the, in the conference centers and, and, you know, just a lot of underground places where, um, 
20 to 40 guys get together and talk about, wait, what are we really doing here? Um, so I knew at the moment that I heard this guy talk that, man, that's really out there. Uh, but man, that's got a lot of potential too. Um, so it, it really has been one of these things where I, I do follow it. Um, I wouldn't say I am like everyday living, breathing, smelling it, um, which is what you want to do if you're really an expert influencing the space. But I don't believe that I have missed the core opportunity of this technology yet. I think it's so young that um, we could be having a very different conversation on this show even two years from now about uh, getting all over whatever the next iteration of this thing is when it comes up. Yeah. I know for myself, I need to stay in it in some way. You you had mentioned, you know, making a core contribution to it. I also think there's a place for just users to try to use some of this. In yeah. other words, spend it, get in, get involved in some areas where people are using it. Uh, try to, you know, it, you know, get involved, do some things where, you know, it was really interesting for a short period of time you could buy and you might still be able to do it. You could buy things at Dell using Bitcoin. Like you could, there were a few places that were places that were taking it. I actually tried Newegg was taking it. At the height of Bitcoin, I tried to spend Bitcoin at Newegg. The 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 transaction volumes were so high it was taking too long for a transaction to go through. It would time out, and I I never actually did buy anything, but I could try. And I think for for some of us, and if you're listening to this. I think there's a place for users in this. And, uh, you know, I'm glad I didn't. I was going to sell my 1060s at some point. And I'm like, no, I'm kind of glad I held on to them. It gives me a chance to try some things out. So at least they know what the hell I'm talking about. Or, or at least I think I do. When it comes to these, you know, these technologies, it's allowed me to stay in the game. Uh, doing uh, Burst Coin has allowed me to kind of stay in the proof of capacity space and, hang out with those guys and read the comments or some smart developers out there. Right. So I think there is a, still a place for people to participate and I would encourage you to do it. Don't do it. Cause you think it'll make you rich. Although that's not a bad, I don't think that's a bad motivation. Yeah. There were people who did and you never listen. There were days when we laughed at people who were doing Bitcoin yeah. we laughed and we laughed and we laughed and there, it wasn't, wasn't profitable. <laughs> you know, and they knew it wasn't profitable mm-hmm. until it mm-hmm. was. <laughs> yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Yeah, and so it, it you, it, it, I think it's a good thing to participate in. The, uh, <clears throat> the, the move, the twenty percent pullback today, uh, maybe capital gains. Is that uh, at the end of the day? Does that seem like everybody's yeah, like? Yeah, that, why? That's the rumors that it's a, <laughs> it's a uh, catch up on taxes, more or less. But why, why would everyone do that in on a single day or at least appear to have done that on a single day it doesn't make sense right i think these are market analysts grasping for straws of you know i i I, you know who knows who knows the in this kind of system in automatic trading and some of those kinds of things what pulls what pulls it back yeah i i wouldn't rule that out that it's uh market speculation but i i would say that i think that um this you know everyone might be getting ready to throw in the towel because, oh, it, you know, uh, Bitcoin crossed the the floor value price of 6,000. And that's where we're going to say we're out. But, you know, just could be yeah. another opportunity to buy back into another volatile upswing. I mean, it's not yeah. the first time we've seen it. Now, to be fair, it's generally been doing the volatile downward trend, right? 
but that's not to say that it starts doing a volatile upward trend again. So um, welcome to the volatile, unpredictable model of uh, Bitcoin. It's not like we didn't know that's that's what happened. So Yeah. Well, and the U.S. markets pulled back uh, yes. a whole year's worth of value in five days. Yeah, so it's 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 not the only market in the world that is volatile, and yep. you know. Um, yeah, there's definitely some other larger financial trends going on that uh, <laughs> supersede what Bitcoin is doing that line up with each other. So Bitcoin gets, uh, or or the cryptocurrency space gets judged for being um, manipulated, and it is. It's it's manipulated all the time. Hey, newsflash the world markets are manipulated every single day. So, um, uh, you know, it, it's one of those kinds of things we got to think through. Christian, anything else that you wanted to say that we missed? No, I think that's a wrap. Um, I, I, to my, to my, f- uh, listeners, uh, requests, I hope this into the, Oh, I think we froze out a second. Yeah, we did say that again to the say that to the listeners. Yeah, to to all the listeners who have requested this topic for a while. I hope this was a good uh, foray into what maybe you've wanted to hear from me uh, on it so far, and uh, maybe I'll dab a little bit more as, as a result. Uh, I have to give it some thought, but yeah. um, hopefully, that's at least uh, kind of broke down the state of where we are with it. It makes me super angry that you just did not really, but it makes me super angry that you just never embraced it. Uh, and it wasn't even like you were against it. You just ignored it. And I was like, wow, that's some serious discipline and, uh, so nicely done. Um, Christian, um, hopefully we'll remind everyone a little stutters and some stuff in there. Hopefully we'll get some of those worked out, but we appreciate if you're listening to this, you're working through the stutters on it. Uh, thanks for getting all the way to the end and getting that done. Don't forget, rate, review, subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you're listening to this on Spreaker, whatever you're doing, rate, review, subscribe, all that great stuff. Uh, so you make sure you get this automatically. We, of course, uh, TheAverageGuy.tv, powered by Maple Grove Partners, get secure, reliable, high-speed hosting from people that you know and you trust. And, of course, uh, you get more information on that, maplegrovepartners.com. If you want to email the show, jim at theaverageguy.tv. You can email Christian, christian at theaverageguy.tv if you got something you want to tell him. Track me down on Twitter at jcollison. Christian over there is Borg, at Borg Whisperer. I want to thank you for joining us today. Uh, if you enjoyed it, share it. We'd love to have a few more listeners. If you, if you want to do that, we'd appreciate it. With that, we'll say goodbye. Good night.